When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Work For It podcast on the Makery Network. I'm Brian House. And I'm Ben Butler. And together we represent the two most important components of the maker world. I work the steel. And I work the wood. The show's primary focus is business in the workshop. And then we reach out to you on social media with a question every week. We read your answers and then discuss them on the show. Follow our show on any major podcast platform and on Instagram at workforit.podcast. Or you can support us for as little as $1 a month on patreon.com forward slash workforit. Let's get on with the show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? You're listening to the Work For It podcast and today I am I initially thought that I was going to be in the studio all by myself and then when I released the last podcast I got a lot of feedback and that feedback was very positive people were you know reaching out to me and you know saying hey I'm glad you're better and you know hey you sound kind of down I hope everything's okay as one thing you'll always get with me is the real deal I don't uh, ever candy coat things too much um, you know I don't believe in that because who the hell am I anyway right so let's just get right down to it. I actually have somebody in the studio today who you all may now know, uh, and I'll let him introduce himself. I'm Ben Butler, and I'm working the woods. <laughs> it's Ben Butler. He's, he's, uh... <laughs> I mean, you know, I tell you, the, I work the metal and I work the wood. Is I was told Craig, I told Craig that I was going to be helping you out. Because I did listen to this is Jeff Vader, and I and I, I listened to your last episode, and I did reach out to you saying, "Hey, are you okay, buddy? You sound a little bit blue." And then we chatted a little. I said, "Listen, if you you know Ben Butler, who the hell? What is he on a you know inflatable raft going down some river? I don't know what the hell he's doing." <laughs> but I said, "If you if you need a if you need a stand in, I'm happy to work the wood." I love that because here, here's the thing. I When you do podcasting, a lot of people think it's super easy and it's not. I mean, it, it, when you have a microphone in your face and there's a dialogue going back and forth, a lot of people tend to sort of clam up and uh, they're, you know, they hope they're interesting, you know, and we hope you're interesting. And that's the thing. But with Jeff, we always know we're going to get something interesting. So me being on the Full Blast podcast, I got an enormous amount of followers from that. And I got an enormous feedback that came back to me positively. And I felt very um, blessed to be on the Full Blast podcast. And and, and by the way, Jeff, I don't, I don't think I ever really told you this, but for some reason in my hometown, 
which is uh, it's a little town south of Madison where Hillary's from, but it's it's in Illinois. So it's called Rockford, Illinois. There's an enormous uh, amount of people who are listening to your show there in Rockford. So they heard me. Yeah. On your show. And I got about four or five people who messaged me and said, hey, I'm a fellow Rockfordite. And, uh, you know, I still live here and it still sucks. And, you know, whatever else. It was really funny. But it connected me to a whole bunch of people who I didn't know, you know, over there. And uh, yeah. So your reach is really it's really starting to. Uh, permeate in the in the Midwest. I, I don't know if you know that or not. Do you ever look at your I, heat maps? I'll be honest with you. I don't really look at anything. I don't really. No my statistics. whole my whole point of of all this podcasting is I just happen to be a huge, monstrous radio fan. So I'm I'm not interested in inspiring anybody. I'm not interested in doing anything. I the fact that I'm on Knife Talk is is a is a surprise to me. Because I've said this to Craig Lockwood and I have great chemistry. We also have great chemistry with Mareko Momasi. But the thing is, is like, if it was shovel talk, I would have tried to be on it too. You know, I I like the fact that I just love, I'm such a huge radio fan. And, and most podcast listeners are much younger than when I was listening to radio. And, you know, you, you, know, you and I have talked about radio before. But it is it's keeping someone company, it's keeping you occupied. And I've always I've always appreciated that. Yeah, and I think podcasts it sort of brings that person into your your headspace and it almost creates a better connection than any other social media can because it's not usually scripted and it's usually off the cuff. You know, there's like a lot of uh, more personal type stuff going on, at least in the world that I'm in. I learn so much not only about knife making by listening to you guys, but also I learn about you as people. Whereas I feel like if I'm looking at your Instagram or if I'm looking at YouTube, I don't get that same kind of uh, closeness that you would get from a podcast, which I really like. But you, your Instagram and my Instagram are, 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 are completely different for a couple of reasons. We have completely different directions. Mm-hmm. Fader Knives is strictly for is my catalog. Like I'm not I'm looking to get customers, and I've really kind of separated myself out from what you know. I, I spent way too much time on, on social media in general, but like Facebook and Instagram for me are I I have no interest in telling anybody how to live their lives. I have no interest in sending out any kind of inspirational quotes. All I want to do is I want you to buy my knives, and that's about it. And if I can make a podcast and people listen and they like it. That's good enough for me, but I, I, the community thing is the community thing has been great. It is completely indirectly a thing. It's all most things I'm doing now are completely indirect results of my direction. So, you know, that's the the beauty of how this thing works. I say this a lot: is social media is sort of like the market, right? And it will decide for you, you know, what you're good at. I do like to be inspirational. I like to tell people like, hey, you can do this. You know, here's how I did it and show them how I did it. And hopefully they gain some inspiration from that. The downside to that is, is then everyone wants to reach out and they want your opinion. You know, they want to know like, hey, I've got this whatever product and what are you thinking? And, you know, how could it, you know, the the, the goal here is to, is to 
bring somebody like me or you something they don't already have and then and then sort of get, build a, a relationship there. The downside is to that is that there is no relationship really unless there's some sort of side conversation happening like in the DMs or a collaboration or whatever it might be, which is how I actually met you guys is through the Knife Talk build along series that I was doing when Craig kind of brought that up with um, Knife Print that you guys were working with them. And so I would built that knife along with you and then filmed it and put it on YouTube and then tagged the hell out of you guys in hopes that you would see my work and enjoy it. And you did. And that's like how we connected initially. Um, and then that ultimately led to me being on the Makery Network with you guys as well, because Craig was like, hey, you're already doing YouTube. You know, this this could be a great segue. Um, and uh, it kind of led me in down a whole another wormhole of uh, like a path that I never thought I would be on. I actually never th- I love radio just like you do, but I never thought I would be doing a podcast. You you also are missing one of the key points, which is you did something that a lot of people didn't do, which is you didn't get blocked by Mareko because (laughs) tagging us is, unless you're tagging us with one of our sponsors, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it can be, it can be a recipe for being blocked. So I congratulate you for that because somehow, Mareko shared something I posted onto one of his stories. And then I think it was the build along. It was the build along series. And I didn't tag him directly because I knew better. I knew that if I did that, I could get blocked. <laughs> so what I did was I tagged, I think I just tagged knife talk podcast. You know, that, that was like kind of the safe zone. There's all this like, um, uh, I guess it's like, a what do they call that? When you have to have like rules of social engagement in social media, especially there's people who, um, yeah, etiquette. That's a good word. Yeah, that's it. Etiquette, social media etiquette. And if you do it the wrong way, the first time you sort of, it's, that's your first impression. Right. And, uh, I'd know just from being on the other side of it, if somebody is like DMing me like a hundred messages at a time, they're tagging me, they're doing all this stuff, which I'm sure you guys get a lot of. And that's the reason why Mareko is so block, uh, savvy, it's it becomes this thing where you're like, look, I, I can't focus solely on you. I can't just like create something and like spend an entire day on your social media. So it's like a nice little balance where I was just like, hey, I'm doing this build along. And I brought uh, Dustin and Devin along from the Art of Craftsmanship, who I love those guys so much. And it's just it all seemed to fit. It fit together like a puzzle. And now we have like this amazing network of people doing the exact same thing. I appreciate, I appreciate your, there's only a couple podcasts I listen to only because I'm afraid of being, I'm afraid of, I'm very easily influenced. So I really, Mm. I, I try not to listen to too many podcasts. I'm already way too influenced by Howard Stern. That's a fact. I know it. I mean, I a hundred percent know it, but, um, I love listening to your podcast and I'm really glad that you're doing it. And, and I, and I, I feel that you enjoy it and I think that it works for you. Back to Mareko. I was I see Mareko as like a little brother to me, and I've known him for a while. We we've met. We actually spent some time together, and he's just a he's just a great guy. He's a great young guy, and there is a, it's a fun relationship between me, Craig, and Mareko because 
we are all three of us are super super different and our relationships are different too and i don't some of it's probably age related but some of it's also be you know just different parts of our life but one of the great Mareko is i love the fact that he's you know you, you got to be a little bit on eggshells with him in regards to blocking because like you know you just don't know but i love I love him for who he is, and I and I just wanted to say that. I, mean, I know I make a lot of jokes about how he blocks people, but I appreciate the things that he does and the way that he is because it is very unique. I think one of the first social media posts I ever saw of his was um, an AMA that he did in his stories on Instagram, and one of the questions was, um, you are on Forged in Fire, winning Forged in Fire, how has it influenced or changed your life? And... Um, his response was like, it didn't change my life at all for the better. Like, you know, he kind of like went through the process of what it took out of him. And he talks a lot about that on the podcast and you know how that whole show kind of, you know, he was on the early versions of it. So it was a little bit different than it is today, but I found that so interesting. I mean, I'm not a huge forge and fire fan. I like the show. I think it's, you know, it's creative and it, it, it has uh, influenced a whole series of people to, sort of get into this um this this uh, hobby or or this business which i i love i think it's great um but a i i thought it was very telling of the type of character of the type of person he is so that when you look at Mareko, you you know you think you know all the things about him but then you sort of see this layer of um like that, that angry kind of like, I just, I want to be myself and I'm not going to let the world change me kind of guy. And there's so, I have so much respect for that because I'm the same way, but I'm not able to live the life he's lived. If that makes sense. I'm not able to live it in that way. I'm just still too reserved. I, I just, I'm just not been, and then to hear him on your podcast and tell a story about Bob Kramer and all of that and, and admit some of the things he knows he could have done differently and then not really beat himself up for it. You know, that was the thing. It was like, he's like, I know I did this wrong. I know I could have changed it, but it's in the past. And it's water under the bridge. I wish it was different. I mean, that just shows like his true character. And I love that about that guy. He Here's the problem with, with the way social media has changed the way people see each other. Um, Forged in Fire is a great avenue for people to see blacksmithing. I'm not even talking about bladesmithing. People seeing anvils used not for cartoons or for farriers, but actually being used, and it's great. And it's got an incredible popularity. And God bless him for being able to do as long, you know, having this this show go on as long as it is. God, I'm saluting you because I know for a fact, you know for a fact, everyone knows for a fact how, how fickle TV is. So God bless him for getting as far as they have. Sure. The problem is, is they're grabbing people who might have Instagram feeds and that's how they're finding these people or they have YouTube channels and people are have this strange idea of what success and fame is. And then they go on these shows and if they win, lose or draw, they're waiting for some sort of pot at the end of the rainbow. Like the after the show is once the show is on the on the history channel, the phone is going to start to ring. And it's all, all these things, all these things are only as good as what you're going to do afterwards. And I'll tell you this. I talked to one of my close friends. You're not too far from is Jonathan Porter from Doghouse yeah. Forge. 
Yeah. And I and Jonathan and I talk every we I'm I'm texting with him every day. We talk, you know, once a month or something like that. Once a week, every other week or so. Great guy, smart guy. One of the first uh, Forge he was the first series of Forge for, first season of Forge and Fire. He told me that he was so prepared and he's a really I mean in terms of knife business, in terms of the, the business mind. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of a story. When the beginning of the pandemic, he and I were talking a lot. And he's down in Florida, not too far from you, in Lakeland, Florida. He said, right before the pandemic, he says to me, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to close my shop. My, I'm going to end my lease with my landlord. We have a good relationship. I'm going to get out of my shop before all this. Yeah. And this was before the shutdown. He just made this very tactical decision to close. He had a huge shop in Lakeland, in an industrial park. Great shop. He decided, I'm going to close this down. I'm going to move everything into my garage. I'm going to recalibrate because I think bad things are going to happen. Smart guy. And he was like, I would, for weeks, I would say, God damn it, how are you so smart to figure that out? He ended up making money based on not having to pay rent. You do everything inside. Everything's, he's in good shape. It was a tactical decision that not a lot of people would have made. When he was on Forge and Fire, he told me that he was preparing for an onslaught of business an onslaught of business and to the point where he ended up losing some uh, he's a farrier so he shoes horses he had lost a business because he said to, uh, you know you know with farriers you know you gotta you gotta do the shoes on the horses or whatever the hell they do at a certain rate every so every few weeks and you know there you know you're you're there every four weeks i don't know i have no idea but it's you have regular clients and you go there he lost customers because they said, we can't count on you. He lost customers with the farrier thing. And then when the forge and fire comes, he's just like, okay, here comes the tidal wave of business. Nothing. He got nothing because obviously they didn't say his name or say where he was, Jonathan from the Southern Hemisphere or whatever. But there was no way to capitalize on this, on this on these TV shows. So that was also a problem that Mareko had because it was very hard for him to capitalize on what he thought was going to happen. Same thing for when he was on Joe Rogan. Um, you know, Joe, Joe Rogan, Rogan was, was a little more, uh, he, he did say, didn't he, that Joe being on Joe's podcast really sort of gave him his book of business for like the last, the last like couple of years or something. I thought books, I heard him say that he closed his books before he went on Joe Rogan. We were talking, he and I were talking oh. for a long time before he went on because he was just so, he's so booked up. I mean, he's a, he's considered one of the best knife makers in the country and that's, that's not up for debate. I mean, it's yeah. no question. And it's just, you know, like a sol a solo business person, it's not easy. He closes books before Joe Rogan, and, and then there was no way for him to capitalize. And that's not his fault. I mean, it's just the facts that he thought was best for him. And I'm not obviously I'm not going to speak for him. But the problem is with people who go on these things, it's hard for them to capitalize. And then they're waiting. They're waiting for, am I famous now? Or what is the, does the, sure. does the red carpet show up? Or where are the where are the rose petals? Where's, where's the bags of you know? Where's the tea? Why aren't why isn't Nike sending me my size thirteen shoes? You know, it's it doesn't exist. It's I almost to the point where I always think this fame thing is doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's not existent. I agree, and I like how social media is the great common denominator here. It ba it basically uh, puts everybody on the same playing field now. So, and that's why I think, you know, building a community is so important. And I think you guys are learning that on uh, the podcast, you know, being doing it five years and how long it took to gain the, the listenership that you have now. 
But now, listen, you have uh, changed up the game, right, on the podcast. So I started listening about a year and a half ago, and your show was just like mine. It was, you know, three guys chatting and doing your thing, and kind of you had a system. You had, like, kind of a, a set um, sort of series of things you discussed, and it was very systematic, and it's, it was great. It was a great show. But you kept pushing, you know, between you, Mareko, and Craig – talking about all the different things you could do and then adding in the call-in functionality and now with this last Amistil show I think you're seeing the benefit of doing a live show and having people chat in and, and join in and talk what it has become is like true radio again the the actual formula uh, for your podcast it just gets better and better and I feel like you're on this this just absolute amazing uh, plateau and you guys are about ready to hit that black diamond slope and just start going whoa you know it's you're going to be going 100 miles an hour um in in that community all of those people who are rallying around you they're characters you know when i hear fingal and i hear all these guys calling in and chatting and it sounds like you're all old friends because a lot of you are you, you, you know, maybe you've only been in the same room, say, you know, a handful of times, if any, maybe it's Blade Show, maybe it's whatever, but then you're all kind of hanging out and it's a, it's a great energy, Jeff. You're doing amazing things. And uh, I just, I'm, 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 this is the, this is coming from someone who's been in the media industry for a long time and working in that for a long time. It's almost as if it happened organically, but I know you guys push Every show, you're pushing for more, you're doing more, and you're putting a lot of thought and energy into it. And, uh, you know, I just want you to know, I recognize it. I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that. I have to say, you know, Knife Talk has been one of those things where when Craig first started, and I was, I, I had no idea. I, I heard about it. My buddy Jesse Savage said, hey, this guy's doing this Knife Podcast. He had done two episodes. He did Walter Sorrells and then Alex Steele. And I, and I said, I listened to it. I was like, oh, this sounds great. And I sent him a message. Yeah, I like your podcast. He's like, okay, great. Want to be a guest? And then I was just like, I had done podcasting for so long. And I know it's like, you got to be bombastic. You got to either get th never invited back or invited back. You know, that's like, you don't want to be boring. You want to be, you sure. either want to be like, you want to push, the, you have to be either push the limits and definitely get called back or push the limits. And like, we're never going to deal with this guy again. And Craig and I ended up t talking for a while. We became friends after the podcast, and we would go to go back and forth. And I helped him with, you know, some of the sponsors in the beginning. And then when I, he asked me to interview him, then we had – he and I have good chemistry. I have this weird accent that's, like, not really New York. It's not really Northeast. I don't know what it is. But with, with him, with the, you know, his BBC-style, you know, classy – accent you know is british accent there's there's it worked out well and then with Mareko too it's just like it worked out really good but we had to like figure out how we're going to engage listeners and we changed the format to be, not be an interview show but like you know include the listeners and that was big but incremental steps is what we tell people with the knife making it's like having these sincere moments of like this works this doesn't work you know we would do bits that don't work and then we'd have bits that do work or like you know and and then you know, even just the the last year has been amazing, but the last six months, every every few months, it just gets something's changed. Like we we don't talk very often because a lot of times we're all in three different parts of the world. You know, Mareko's yeah. out in Olympia, Washington. I'm in New York, and Craig's in France. So it's hard for us to talk. I mean, I can't even call Craig. I mean, you know, you don't talk on the phone because you know it's just we don't. You know, we text and we all do a group thing, but. 
we do take care of business at the end of the podcast. And one time we were talking, we are bullshitting. It was completely different. I said, I don't know why you don't record this and don't tell anybody. Let's just have this as an after show. And then we would workshop ideas on the after show. And then it was just like, it was this natural progression. And Craig is, Craig is a monster. Craig is a, he's, he's so talented in terms of the, what it takes to do a podcast, what it takes to kind of interview people and getting down to, I mean, the Damasteel thing. I'm not going to go into all the Damasteel stuff because obviously this is the work for podcast, not the knife talk podcast. But the Damasteel show was so great, and, it, and it's all due to Craig because he had done these kinds of events before. The other thing is, is we knew all the participants. Mareko, Craig, and I knew, with the exception of a couple of them, we'd all talked to them before. So they were already relaxed when they came on, you know, and it was a lot of fun. And we just got a message from Damasteel. They were thrilled. We bumped up their numbers by 45% of attendees, and it was great. It was awesome. So... I'm a huge fan, and um, it's a lot of fun, and and um, I appreciate what you had to say. But well, it's, it's, like all watching, it's all Craig. It's all Craig. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, no, I have uh, Craig's uh, personal number now, and I can you know message him whenever I want. But you're right; I don't ever call him because I you know I'm not. I always have to go you know ask my Google Home like, hey, what time is it in Paris or whatever, so I can figure out whether or not I can actually ring him up. But um, you know, the, the, what you were saying about working with these sponsors and getting in like taking, okay. Pivoting as a podcast, right? A year and a half ago, we get this pandemic. It happens. The world changes every, I'm still so very much amazed at how quickly business, uh, and travel and all of that sort of just went to a screeching halt. But I'm also very much amazed at how it pivoted. You know, when you look at these conventions, these virtual com- conventions like Damasteel, and I'm listening to you guys sort of call the show, right? Um, it's almost as if you're like standing in that virtual room and you guys are up on your little pedestal and you're just bringing people up to talk about it and it's being broadcast uh, live, right? I can only see how that would just bring more people to the table. It just made sense to me and it would have been something I would have never thought of. And to hear you guys do it with such style and grace, it was it was really fun to listen to, and it was d- definitely different. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing how you guys incorporate that into Knife Talk in the future, because I think there's probably going to be some more changes coming at some point. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, you guys rock that show, and it's and and what I was really interested in was, and I don't know if this was even explained on the show or not, but all the presenters, right? So like everybody that's got a booth, right? Quote unquote booth they had stuff for sale. So were they shipping it to someplace and then that, sh- that those knives would be displayed somewhere or did they have all the knives like with them personally and it was like a virtual sort of setup? I I got to hand it to Damasteel. This is something that I found, Craig had told me. They didn't charge the attendees. They didn't charge the people, like they didn't charge the people to come in to, to just okay. to be there. They didn't charge the people they invited to make the chef knives. So like there and they didn't take a percentage. So it was basically on their own. So you could wow. sell your knife through your website. So it wasn't, you know, Damasteel didn't take a piece. They had to buy the Damasteel, I think. And I think they got some sort of discount. But Damasteel was like, we just want eyes on us. You know, it was just, it's really smart. It was really smart. And smart move. The fact that they didn't take a cut was huge because these knife makers, I mean, you know, you see some of these guys, I and mean, we were watching and we were looking at, you know, these. some of these guys are like, you know, it's a big investment to buy this Damasteel. 
The difference yeah. between buying Damasteel and other, and, and it's a different process. The heat treatment's different. You're not just thinking, you're st- all of a sudden you're dealing with muriatic acid and, and it's, it's a big deal. It's a lot of work. And, and the, 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 you know, the, the chances of a problem are much more expensive, you know, like a piece of, you know, carbon steel, you know, it's like what for a knife, like, you know, seven bucks or something like that. But like for a piece of damn steel, I mean, you know, I have, a, you know, I could get $200 piece of steel. So I was really, really impressed with how they did everything. And we're going to talk about it on the next. So there's going to be a wrap up about it, the whole thing, but they were awesome. And they, you know, it was the technical difficulties. A lot of the technical difficulties were because of people's own computers and Wi-Fi. I mean, the, for us, it, everything went great. You know, it was just they did a great job, and I hope we do it again with them. I uh, I found it interesting. Like, Fingal brought, like, 29 or 30 knives. He sold all of them. I mean, that's fantastic. That's a lot of knives. I mean, he, that's Like I said, we're going to talk about the whole thing. He's a, he's a very – I think that part of it is also, you know, there weren't a lot of window shoppers. So that you had to kind of promote yourself for people to go there and buy them, you know. Um, I think the only thing that Damasteel didn't want is they didn't want people to pre-sell them before. You know, I think that they wanted to, you know, wait until Damasteel show. And, and then, you know, you got to, like, tell your customers. So this is part of the whole thing about in regards to the Forge and going back to the Forge and Fire thing and fame. You know, the, there's a whole, you have to, you have to curate your, not curate's the wrong word, but you have to, like, keep your customers in the know. Because you can't just expect, you know, Damasteel is going to, you know, Damasteel is going to promote me for this thing. And all of a sudden there's going to be buyers from wherever. And that wasn't necessarily the case. People were going to, you know, maybe they were already fans of uh, Quentin Middleton or fans of uh, uh, Mert Tansu. And they were like, I'm here to get that. As opposed to just being like, yeah, I have, you know, a thousand dollars to spend. Where should I spend it? I don't think that was the case. And especially being virtual, it's different than... You know, when they used to have it in Chicago, you know, Chicago, people could look at it. You know, you could see it. But it was there were hard parts and and, and bad parts. But a lot of it is I, I don't know what the expectation was of the of a lot of the knife makers. But part of me wonders if some of them felt like buyers were coming in and, and they were, you know, buyers were being brought in as opposed to bringing your own buyers. And, and I think that that's what happened with Fingal. Fingal's a very uh, enigmatic, he's a, he's a uh, enjoy, enjoy, enjoyable guy, funny, crazy. He's got, he's, he's got such a great reputation in, in Europe. And it's like, it wasn't a huge surprise, you know. But I mean, I don't know. We're going to talk all about it on Knife Talk, so. This same this concept the applies to everything. It, it, yeah, it, but this applies to everything, right? So, like, I, this is all how I preach. You know, I'm always saying uh, there's no easy path. You know, whatever path you choose, the true path to success is always going to be a tough one. You know, the, and I think there's a lot of people out there that think that there's this magic pill, you know, that they can take or this magic experience, this one thing that will get them to where they need to go. It's like... um you know, these famous actors that uh, that were not famous initially, they got cast in a role and it just skyrocketed their career. Right. And 
what they don't see is all those years of doing the, you know, the B TV movies and, you know, trying to, you know, climb the ladder and uh, rub elbows with the famous uh, d- directors and writers to try to get in there. Right. And they don't see that. And, and the, again, I get this sometimes and I don't, I'm, I don't find myself, I don't think of myself as being a famous person. I'm recognized. I have, you know, of course, people that follow me and I have a fan base uh, as you do, uh, but I don't see it like that. I, I'm very accessible. You can message me on just about any platform, and it might take me a day or two, but I usually get back to everybody. And and it's it, because I don't see my path as being a famous person because that's not really what I want. What I want is to build a community of people who have purpose, and I want to be a part of that inspiration, the motivational train that kind of pushes them in the right direction because I think there's a lot of really super amazing creative people out there who are who never had guidance. They never had someone to look at and go, oh, he's doing it. Oh, may, wait a minute. Maybe I can do that, too. And and if, and if guys like me and you don't step up and do that and then show the, you know, show off what we're doing and show the work that we're up to. I don't, I think that that's a shame and I think that people should see it. Um, I do like the attention, you know, I I get out there and I love it when people message and like, and subscribe and do all those things. I love that, but there's definitely a piece of it that without the purpose, without, I get these messages every day, Jeff, people that go, uh, you know, Hey, I, I saw this video. I saw what you did. And then I did this and, and then they send me a photo of the work that they've done or the, the, the thing that they've built or whatever. I get those every day, multiple times a day, and it just warms my heart because that's like what I'm leaving behind. You know, that's my kind of my legacy type situation. And I, I, I know you guys talk a lot about that on the podcast. Like, why do you do this work? You know, what, what is it all about? For me, it's that I want to leave the world a better place. And, you know, my whole spiel on capitalism and I believe in it. I believe in the United States and I believe that we're we are doing great things in this country and we've we've made a fertile ground for for uh, commerce and I think that all plays a big role in it. Uh, but you definitely have to have that balance of community, commerce, and social media that uh, sort of paints the right kind of picture. Like, you know, um, I, I, I like to say, like, it's a narrative. You're watching my journey. You're, you're following along. Well, I didn't know that I would be doing what I'm doing today a year ago. I had no idea. And a year from now, I'll probably be doing something similar but different because my path will have taken me there. But that that path should be displayed somewhere so somebody can see it. And I think that's what you're doing, and I think that's like what the Dammit Steel show did. It showed like all these great knife makers coming together using their one product. They basically reverse engineered that convention, and it makes a ton of sense, you know? It was, there was a lot that made that, there was a lot more to, I don't know, if we didn't know anybody in that, I mean, there was a couple people that we didn't know and I'm not hundred percent sure it would have been as if we didn't know all those people and they weren't relaxed, it probably wouldn't have been very fun. You know, I think it would have been very tough, but in regards to what you're saying, the, the, the bigger issue that I see is people resting on their laurels. I think mm-hmm. that there's this concept that you get to a certain point and then you st- you just get to the peak and then you and look you around coast. and it's like, now we can sit here and wait. I don't know. I, I think about the podcast, my podcast, Full Blast podcast makes me really, really, really realize 
that like I'll record. I recorded yesterday. I recorded with uh, Chris Adelhart of Pariah Knives, and it was it was good. It was really good. And I've but now I know I got I got I can't sit back and 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 just enjoy that. I I I'm already preparing for the next two, and I think that it, you get to the point with a lot of people that they, I think that they realize that. You have to be forward thinking in regards. To, look, this is a little too preachy for me. To be honest with you, I, 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 this is not for me. I honestly, honestly, I was going to actually tell you, uh, uh, just to change this. I just don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't care about what I have to say. I, I would hate it. All right. I would hate it if if somebody said, I am doing this. Jeff Fader told me I should do this. I'd be like, you're crazy. You're crazy. Why are you listening to him? He's so stupid. I mean, he's he's a stupid person. I, I just can't. I can't get behind the things that I say, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, you live by example. You teach through example, right? I mean, that's the the best way to do it. That's how I, I do it with my kids. You know, I guess that's how you I... do it with your your daughter, right? I mean, you 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 show her what life should be like, and you know what balance looks like, what happiness looks like, and what the human experience looks like, and you hope that she takes away some of those things. And lives the, lives her, her version of the of that best life. Do you really want to know what we're, we're teaching her now? We're teaching her the art yeah. of persuasion. And this this past weekend was the perfect example of the this crazy situation. And I've touched upon in the last. Uh, I was trying to warm the guys up before the show, and I was telling this crazy story that happened to me. Basically, right before the Damn Steel show, I was my wife was like. Come help me do some yard work. It'll relax you. You won't be so nervous because you know there's a lot of people there, and we wanted a big, good impression. So I was doing all this yard work, and we had a little burn pile, it was just tiny, like a little campfire thing. And I was burning some sticks, and we were, do, you know, I was, you know, burning some sticks wasn't a big deal. And then all of a sudden, I was just like, we were finished all the sticks, and I was like, there's this pile of leaves. I'm the kind of person like, I push the limits, and then I usually know how far I can go, and then. And then, you know, I, I threw this giant pile of wet leaves on the on this fire. And it, immediately it was just very clear. It was a giant mistake. And my wife was like, yeah. whoa, that's a lot of smoke. I'm like, I know, it's a lot of smoke. I'm not going to do that again. And it was this billowy, thick cloud going through our, you know, the neighborhood. And my, my daughter was out for a run. She came back. She's like, yo, I could smell that down the street. I was like, all right, we're done with this. Five minutes into it, this woman comes crashing through the bushes wearing an M95 mask and a, and a shirt that says Mama Bear. And she says, she starts screaming at us. What are you doing? My house is filled with smoke. I could go to the hospital. This is poison ivy. You're burning poison ivy. I, I, I Screaming and hollering, screaming and hollering in at us in our backyard. And we know, we've already made the, we've already made the, my wife and I are looking at each other like, we are, before she showed up, we're like, we should have done this. But we did. You know, it's like, it's like what can you do, right? So we immediately go into, my wife deals with psychotic people. So she, I finally got to see her at her job. So she like switched personas and was just like using de-escalation tactics. She was using mirroring tactics and labeling tactics. And she was saying, oh, this must be really hard for you. You must have been very scared. We're very, very sorry. And I'm just saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You're you're right. Because there was no there was. I mean, we knew we were. We knew we shouldn't have done it. I knew I shouldn't have done it. She knew we shouldn't have done it. This woman is yelling at us, and I'm saying I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're done. I'm gonna. I'm done. And then she said, "You put in poison ivy." And then all of a sudden, and my wife is using these mirroring techniques. Mirroring is basically you're hearing what the person's saying, and then you're repeating it back to them so subconsciously that they know that you're listening. And labeling is 
wow, you must have been very scared. Obviously, we don't want you to go to the hospital. So she's using these like de-escalation te techniques. Techniques. The woman says you put in you put in uh, poison ivy, and I'm like, wait a second. I didn't put any poison ivy in here. I mean, I'm allergic to poison ivy too. And then I look, I get side-eyed by my wife, and now she's lo she's looking at me saying, I have to de-escalate <laughs> that woman. And now I got to take care of you too. I got to de-escalate the both of you because I'm starting to jump ugly with this woman. And then I'm just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she won't stop. She came over at like an, a, at an eight and, you know, an eight being like angry and nine would be cursing and 10 would be like, you know, belligerence. So she came at us at a nine looking for a fight. I mean, she was wearing a shirt that said mama bear. I mean, that's, I mean, she was looking for a fight and we didn't want to fight. We were like, you're right. And, and it was like, it was almost like she completely was, she just was not, she was surprised that we weren't like, go fuck yourself, get off my, you can't tell me what I can do. Sure. Or, you can't tell me, she was not prepared for us to, she came at us at an eight, we came at her with a two and she wasn't prepared. So then she said, well, thank you very much. And she left. And then, you know, my wife and I are giggling and like, that was fucking weird. And I was like, we gave each other high fives. We've been together for like, it was 25 years. We were just like, we got yelled at together at the same time. This is awesome. <laughs> and, and then, and then I'm getting buckets of water and I'm pouring it out and, and then all of a sudden she comes back wearing a very friendly mask. She had the, the first time she came out, she had an M95 mask. The second time she came, it was like this floral Mickey Mouse. It was just like friendly mask, you know? And then she just said, she's, and we're like, my wife's like, oh, Jesus Christ, this again. And she came over and I said, man, we're putting it away. We're taking, we're taking, we're, I'm, I'm putting it out. And I'm trying to be self-deprecating and how, why this is going to be crazy. And then she says, I came back to re- uh, introduce myself or to reestablish the person that I am. I was just upset because it was very clear after she started the second time, somebody in her house said, we heard you down the, in the, down the block, the whole neighborhood heard how crazy you are. You got to go over there because they're our neighbors. So somebody said to her, you've sounded nuts. She comes back over and she's I'm sorry, you're good neighbors. I'm good neighbors. Let's, let's, this shouldn't be the way it is. And I, and I was just, and then she started going back, but the house started to fill with smoke. And, and, we're, and I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I can't keep apologizing. I've apologized too much. If all I, I'm sorry. We're sorry. Putting everything out. And she's like, let's just, let's just reintroduce ourselves. And we're like, ma'am, we want you to go. We didn't say it, but it was very much along the lines of that. And, it ended up becoming she wanted to have drinks with us. And what my we, when it was all over and she finally left and we, everything was fine and everybody's fine and we still think she's crazy. We still want to move. But it was like <laughs> my daughter said, what the fuck happened? And I was like, yo, this is how you deal with people. People are just coming. When you come at people at a 10 and you meet them at a 10, it doesn't work. You have to learn how to communication is a combination lock. You got to know the right combination. And my wife and I use all these like psychological techniques of de-escalation. And we ended up getting like, I'm actually, I have a bet with my kid now and I have a few more days left. I'm convinced this woman's going to leave us a note or flowers or wine, or maybe a fruit basket. And, and my, my kids are just like, there's just no way. And I'm like, I'm telling you, we were real nice. And she apologized for jumping ugly with us. And it was this strange, strange thing. And I said to my kid, I'm like, this is, you have to learn how to negotiate with people and you have to learn how to be persuasive because you, it's the, I'm telling you, people aren't doing it right.
I'm sorry for telling you that whole long story, but it's no, like no, no. This is I, this is the biggest problem. People do not know how to communicate, and you're. I was telling her, I was like, you know, we took her to send her to Taekwondo, and it was a terrible experience. They're they're teaching Taek these ma these martial arts schools are teaching you how to beat people up that with no experience. They're not teaching you how to fight UFC fighters. They're teaching you how to maybe not you know hit somebody in the head who who doesn't have any technique. But no one's teaching people how to talk to each other to, you know, use like self-defense techniques in talking to each other. And it's yeah, like I yeah. tell my kid this all the time. I'm like, you are. And we used to get in a huge uh, debates and my wife would get crazy because we go go crazy. And I would say to my daughter, I am waiting for you to change my mind. I'm waiting for you to use the right combination of words for me to say you're you know what? You make a good point. I'm with you. And that was a big thing. We got to learn how to teach people how to communicate. That is the that is the black belt in this world. It isn't learning how to kick someone in the nuts. It's learning how to negotiate with people and also persuade them. There you go. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree. I think that that neighbor of yours is that classic sort of uh, reactionary. Um, and I always try to like attribute. Uh, the book um, by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, the the uh, Four Agreements. I don't know if you've ever read no. that book. Uh, it's a very short book, very small book. Um, if you haven't ever listened to it, I, I usually listen to podcasts or audio uh, versions of books and or read it. I mean, you could read it, too. But um, um, Peter Coyote actually narrates it. So it's really great to listen to. And they, and they, they incorporate some Native American stuff. It's very hippy dippy, but I really, really love this book. But one of the concepts in this book, right? Uh, the One of the four agreements is never take anything personally. And he goes down the long list of reasons why. And he even goes so far as to say, someone could walk up to you with a gun and put a, a gun to your head and pull the trigger and kill you. And it had nothing to do with you. And, you, and here's the reason why. And he goes down like the story about how, you know, human beings are egocentric and that's a survival mechanism. And everything around us is basically we are the the star of our own movie. Right. That's that's what we're in. So you're the star of the Jeff Fader movie. I'm the star of Brian House movie. And and we're kind of like the, the the primary characters. Everyone else around us is secondary characters. And, and we commonly think that when someone does something immediately we think they're doing it to us. You know, that's like our initial reaction. That's like the ego kind of like pushing forward saying, look, that this person is doing this to us. But the reality is, is they're living out their own movie and they're kind of like playing this role. And if you look at every single situation in your life like that, if you can say like, hey, I'm not going to take this personally. I didn't do this to this person and they're not doing this to me. It it basically de-escalates it for you so that your reaction uh, is not to get emotional, like you said, take it to a 10, because that doesn't make anybody, that doesn't change anything. It doesn't help anything. All it does is make it worse. Once you get old enough and you realize this, you can unlock the, you, basically it's this, uh, you know, the book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Rockefeller. I think it was Rockefeller that wrote that, I've right? I've heard it. I've heard about okay. it. Okay. It's another, in that book, the same concepts apply and it's basically just uh listening to people's stories like what hillary was doing oh that must have been so scary for you and you know mirroring their their emotion a little bit and then kind of bringing it down now i will say 
your neighbor is probably the emotional intelligence of that person is probably really low. And you guys did the right thing. Um, I've been in similar situations where I've had to deescalate things and it's just like, it takes every ounce. Cause I have no patience, Jeff. I have zero patience for, for, and even the smaller stuff, like when people are doing things like my, with my staff and my kids, I'm just like, why am I listening to this? Why am I doing this? I'm, you know, this isn't my focus. I have to turn that off. You know, I have to turn the entrepreneur off sometimes and I have to go, okay, okay, no, I get it. I have to stroke your ego a little bit. I have to kind of like make you feel safe and make you do your thing. And then we move forward. Um, I, but the my patience level for that shit is just like, it's it's so low, man. It's And the older I get, the lower it is. We we never, my wife and I, my wife gets into conflicts with, with her, her customers, her, her clients. She's in healthcare. She gets every day. You know, and she's getting much more. I mean, she was saying to me that she's losing her her, her empathy levels are losing are are growing smaller and smaller. Interesting. But I but it's very much along the lines of I don't know. Man. I, th- it was this woman was almost stupefied. She clearly had been an issue. She'd clearly been in arguments, and she wasn't a dumb woman. We actually thought she was a lawyer that she was talking about my lungs and going to the hospital. My wife was just like. You know, the red flag for this could be a lawyer <laughs> came up. And it, it, this was a person who had an experience throwing, you know, you call them a Karen or whatever. They had their experience of throwing themselves around and getting what they wanted. And but preparing for the worst as opposed to preparing for people who were just like, yeah, you know what? We did fuck up. We already knew we fucked up when we put the leaves on the fire. I mean, like there wasn't like it wasn't an issue of. It wasn't an issue of uh, my rights. It was an issue of me being insensitive to my neighbors and being, you know, stupid and, you know, making a big mistake. But one one would say that there are no mistakes. I, I just think that, um, especially when you're referring to how you raise your kid, I, I don't want, I, it's better that people don't learn how to communicate because I would rather just take advantage of them. But that's bad. <laughs> True. I mean, to be honest, I told my kid, I said to her, I'm like, look, Use your, you know, use, use your words and use your head and, you know, don't, you know, just learn how to talk to people and you're going to find that most people don't know how to communicate and you're just going to, uh, you're going to make it happen. And if that's taking advantage, then let's do it. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to like a grifter or a scam artist, but like, I mean, if you're willing to, if you're willing to, you know, if, I, if I'm able to kind of persuade you into doing something that you you might not necessarily do then lock me up this is very this is a very interesting side to you jeff i i think that um i think there's more to this than we really know maybe there's have you ever do you ever watch these tv shows uh about like these serial killers like how they they're totally like normal human beings on the outside and then on the inside they're like these crazy you know, axe wielding murderers. You ever watch any of those shows? I, I have a hard time watching anything that's depressing. Mm. Like I've got, I, the last depressing thing I watched, well, that's not true. I watched a few ser- series, but like, I can't get into true crime. I can't get it. I can't get into like the real hard. I, I listened to the last podcast I listened to where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. It was that dirty John. I don't know if you listen to dirty John. You ever listen to dirty John? No, no, I don't Dirty even know. John Dirty John is like, I mean, I got into uh, NPR did a, a show called Serial, and Serial oh, is yeah. a, 
great pod. The, I think the second series was better than the first one. It was about the yeah. guy who walked out, out of his uh, – he left his post in Afghanistan and then got captured, and they got him back. And it was – that that was – the second series was better. But J- J- Dirty John is a podcast. If you guys want true crime, this dude – this woman, she's an older woman, and she gets involved with this dude, and the dude is like it's just a con artist. And it's the ending is crazy, the whole thing, but it's like this dude who's seduced this woman, and I'm not going to tell you anymore. You definitely have to listen okay. to it because it's like yeah. one of those ones. I'm into like, it. You know, time to fold the laundry again. But you already folded the laundry, yeah. But I got my earpods in. I want to <laughs> listen to this podcast. It's like, where are where are you? I'm mowing the lawn, but you just mowed the lawn. I'm like, yeah, but you know, I got to watch what happens with Dirty John. I can't do what? that anymore. I can't. It's just too. It just. It, I get too much agita. I'm with but you. But I understand I'm what with you're you. saying. I find I it understand. fascinating. But he, here's here's a – so, okay, so you know I had the stomach flu last week, and I was down for the count. Like, could not move. I was shitting my pants, like, no joke. Like, I was just – everything was happening. It was coming out of both ends. It was uh, it was definitely um, not my uh, most proud moment. Um, and then, of course, after the fact, after you get done healing from this – you still deal with like the fatigue and you're not able to work as much. You know, the body is still kind of uh, the older you get, you know, the more this, right. this the longer it takes. So um, uh, here's what I did. I started going back through a lot of my most favorite films and I started just watching them because I had really no other content to really look at other than YouTube. And I've talked a lot about my, my love of YouTube and how I just love, and I love how I'm connected with a lot of these creators now. And I'm able to, you know, have conversations with them. Um, it's just, it blows my mind that I, I can be in the same space with them and, and uh, collaborate and do all those things. But uh, so I went back and I watched the Godfather trilogy um, and I really, I really had forgotten how uh, the the Michael's character, Al Pacino's character, how evil he becomes. You know, you, yeah. you kind of see it in a like when you're younger, you think, oh, badass gangster. You know, the guy was a war hero. You know, he did all this stuff and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like running this family or whatever. And then now as I'm, I'm an older man, like probably the last time I watched that trilogy all the way through, I was probably but it was I was in my 30s. I was like in my early 30s, maybe 15 years ago. I look at it so differently now. Now I look at it and go, a lot of this shit is not necessary, which is the reason why the films are so good. Because, you know, you're like, wait, why did he have to do these things? You know, why did he have to kill Fredo? It it was so not necessary. And it was just evil, straight up, like, you know, lockdown evil inside of him. And, um, it, it, you know, so as I evolve as a human being every 10 years or so, I start to look back on the things that I thought were cool and they're not cool anymore. And I'm like, oh, man. I mean, they're still great films, by the way. I think the Godfather trilogy is probably one of the most perfect other than Godfather three. I think Godfather three can get could get thrown away. But really, one and I was two? just going to say that I think that Godfather three is where Michael gets redeemed. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Well, he tries. I, I remember when they came out, and I was just like, "How come Al Pacino has the same haircut as my mother?" You know, it was like, a, <laughs> it was this, this weird movie. It was like, "Wow, so Sonny's Sonny's kid was Puerto Rican. What's going on here?" It was like, "I don't know what the fuck, what the fuck is going on with this movie." But at the same time, I liked, I liked the fact that he, I felt like, I felt like he got redeemed at the end, didn't he? 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, he tries. I think I think he tries. It's that whole iconic scene where he's like, you know, I I try to, you know, get out and then they pull me back in, yeah. you know, that whole thing and I don't know. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to take us in that whole no, side. No, I, I just wanted to bring something up. I actually, we as a family, we like Moonstruck, and I never liked. Mm. I never liked Moon. I never watched it until my wife had. We watched it as a family. You know, I, we watch we watch it a lot. It's a great movie. Actually, the funny thing is, is the the screenwriter. When my wife and I had an apartment on 14th Street, we had a party, and the screenwriter and director came to our house. And was so drunk and was raiding my refrigerator. And I just started like, I like threw him out of the house. I was like, you dude, you got to get out of my house. And Wait, somebody said, you have a part. Hold on. Go back up a ways. So the screen, the screenwriter, the writer who wrote Moonstruck. Right. Somehow ends up in your apartment. Like, yeah. Are you having my, a party? He was our or age. What? Yeah. Oh, okay. And you knew him or what? I had no idea. I had no idea who he was. I didn't give a fuck. But he was like looking through my refrigerator getting something to eat. And I was Did he like, write anything got... else other than Moonstruck? I don't know. I don't remember his name. But my... afterwards, I just remember my wife saying, yo, you just threw out the guy from Moonstruck. I'm like, what? <laughs> what movies? I didn't watch Moonstruck. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Back then, yeah. Who knew? Who but knew? we but it, we love it because there's this weird, you know, there's this weird kind of you know, exaggerated American Italian thing, and my wife, my kid likes sure. it, and I was just like, you know what? During this during quarantine, I was like, you know what? Maybe we should watch Goodfellas. Oh yeah. My wife, my kid loved Goodfellas. So we good. were talking about the. She's a smart kid. And she liked the filmmaking. She liked the storyline. She she would walk around the. We were walking around the supermarket, and she just starts saying lines that she made up from Goodfellas. I was like, I was like, we were talking about the woman who uh, who, who we screamed at us at the house, and it was like that. You know, we were going to getting the groceries the next day, and she's like, you know what I would have done? I would have burned her house down, and I would have made a, I would have made a phone call. I was just like, she was like doing all these. You know, good fellas. She's got to burn her house down and take her money. That's what you do. She was doing it in like this kind of fake good fellas accent. It was hilarious. It was just like so funny. But now, yeah, that's all she does now is you could take, you know, you could do an insurance claim, right? You're going to burn her house down. You're going to take her money. That's how she learns, you know? <laughs> so, okay. So you got good fellas. You got casino. You've got, um... you know, I loved casino, but the, my family didn't think it was that great. They, no? I, I love casino. Oh, it's great. It's, oh man, Casino! Oh, Casino and Goodfellas are my. I love those. I love those movies. And then, then we did now, Bronx Tale. We did Bronx Tale. Bronx Tale. Okay. And then I think I think we she tapped out on Italian gangster movies. I couldn't get her into Godfather One. I wanted to do at least Godfather One. It's definitely dated. I mean, when you're watching it, I get awestruck by how young De Niro is and how young, like even Marlo Brandon, Marlon Brando is. And Pacino, you know, you're watching these guys who were back then, they weren't like super famous. You know, they probably had done a few roles. I think they make made uh, is Raging Bull came before right. um, Godfather and that was pretty big. But, you know, hey, there wasn't a lot there. And then bang, you know, they create, you know, Scorsese creates these amazing um, films later on using all these actors uh, but let's see, it was Coppola that did the Godfather right. series. But um, but then now uh, Sarah had never seen Wolf on Wall Street, right? So, good oh, good dude, another Scorsese piece that was just knocked it out of the park. I mean, excellent piece all all around. Uh, there's so many great scenes 
And so anyway, we started going back through the catalog because I'm just ill and I can't move or whatever. And th- that's kind of like where I ended up in just watching all these old gangster films and whatever else. So if you're looking for something to watch, hands down, watch the Godfather trilogy. You can see that on Amazon, I think. And then uh, you got Casino, you got Goodfellas, you got Wolf on Wall Street. All, by the way, all of these films are not kid friendly. So if you, I mean, unless your kid is like in the teen years, I think maybe like some of those, like Wolf on Wall Street is very, I don't know if I'd show that to my teenagers. I think I'd wait until they were like 18 or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, all excellent, excellent pieces. Very my, good films. My friend Nico Tavernisi, who I used to podcast with on the on the Downward Spiral podcast, actually he's on a couple episodes of Full Blast. He's a set photographer to the stars. I mean, he's like, he, I mean, he's been in, he's done the set photography for almost everything that you've heard. Of. I mean, it's like crazy when he he and he's he's a good dude, friend of mine, and we used to podcast together. He ended up doing the. HBO, um, Scorsese TV show. I forgot the name of it, but it was with Mick Jagger was the producer and, uh, Bobby Cannavale was in it. It was like, it was like about the radio business and the music business in the seventies. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I don't, um, I forgot the name of it, but it was like Dice was in it and, and, uh, Bobby Cannavale. Is it called Vinyl? Yeah. Vinyl. That's right. Yeah. He said he was working on it, and it was crazy work. This is the first time he worked with Scorsese, and Scorsese was just, like, unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, he's on the set, and all of a sudden, Mick Jagger shows up because he's the producer. And Nico's telling all these stories, like, everyone's around Scorsese. and You know, every Scorsese movie, you know, especially in the 70s, Gimme Shelter's on. I mean, if if Gimme Shelter isn't on... It in an Italian movie with Martin Scorsese. He loves sure. the Stones. I mean, he I know he did Moonlight Mile, I think. And like he I mean, he's got all the any Stones movie, any any Italian gangster movie is going to have the Rolling Stones in it, which is crazy, but perfect. And then all of a sudden he worked on Nico ended up working because he did such a good job with Miley, ended up working on the Irishman. And he would listen to Joe Pesci and he would listen to all these guys. And he was just like he, he ended up getting a picture with him and. Uh, he he got a picture with him, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro wearing a shirt. And it's the episode on the, uh, if you follow the Full Blast podcast on Instagram, the episode, the picture is him with one side's Robert De Niro, the other side is Al Pacino, and then Nico's wearing a shirt that has uh, Scarface on it, and it's a picture of um, Al Pacino as Scarface, and underneath the word says De Niro. It's the craziest picture of all time, but it's like so that wasn't photoshopped because I've seen that no, photo, so no, that's not he, photoshopped. He knew he'd been on the the Irishman for so long that he was like, he knew that you know when you're a set photographer, you get the you get all the scripts, you get the shooting days, and you know who you're supposed to be. You know he's got to take like ten thousand photos a day for the sure. he's hired by the production companies to take pictures that they'll use for the you know the posters like he did the black swan the the most famous iconic picture of natalie portman is black swan he that's his picture all the the um john wick movie pictures he done all that so he knows everyone's shooting day so he all of a sudden he's just like i i gotta i there's a chance i can get a picture with both of them and the thing is with these set photographers you have to be charming persuasive he's very persuasive He's very charming. 
he also knows that the if he's nice and he does a good job, the actors love him too because they're taking he's taking the good pictures of them, so he ends up getting access. So one sure. day he's just like, all right, I know I got I got we're gonna be doing one scene with De Niro and Pacino. I'm wearing the shirt. I'm gonna roll the dice. I'm gonna hope I get the picture. And he got the picture, and it is incredible. I mean, it is the most incredible picture because. You got to see it. It's, it's it is not photoshopped. It is a hundred percent. He he sent it to me when it happened. It was like motherfucker. I know that that's a great shot. I, I my, you know my brother in law is a stunt guy and he works really? on a lot of the same films. Yeah, um, he uh, he worked on um, the Joker um, and with uh, Joaquin and you know the. Um, he was he he does a lot of stuff um, and he's in New York so he's you know he's he lives in Pennsylvania but he drives into New York and. Um, so he was telling me about he's like, you know, getting a photo with somebody on set is like taboo. Like oh, you yeah. don't ask like yeah. you're not supposed to ask. You don't ask for autographs. You don't do any of that. And a uh, great story is that there's this movie called The Warriors. I don't know if you've ever oh, heard sure. of it, but it's yeah. Of course. <laughs> my bro- my other brother-in-law. Yeah. OK, so you you know the movie. Yeah, Warriors um, want to play. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so my other brother-in-law on my side of the family. So the, the Todd, the stuntman, he's on uh, Sarah's side. So that's my wife's family. My brother-in-law on my side, my sister's husband, loves the movie The Warriors. Right. right? And... Uh, he's, we're all at uh, a party together in Pennsylvania. My, my sister and brother-in-law fly in, we're all hanging around the table. Somehow this movie, the warriors comes up and, uh, Todd, my other brother-in-law says, Oh, I work with him. I can't think of the actor's name. The guy that, that carries the baseball bat around, you know, and, and beats people. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know his name either. Yeah. I have no idea. He's like, oh, I work with him sometimes. And my <laughs> Jay was like, wait, what? In about a month later, my brother-in-law Jay gets a text message from my other brother-in-law Todd and it's him laying in a pile of blood with that actor and the guy sits up in the pile of blood and says oh hey Jay I heard you like the Warriors uh thanks for watching my movies and then lays back down in the pile of blood that's and then like and it blew it blew his mind it blew his mind that like anybody in the world would have access to that guy but it turns out he's like a a stunt uh a lot of these guys when they stop acting or they they you know they're doing less active stuff they turn into like these um you know they they're trainers like they're on set and they're working right. with people and they're keeping things going so that's how that all kind of works but yeah i hear all kinds of crazy stories about that and and i think todd knows nico somehow they're connected they, well, Nico was on. He was, did the, he did all the set photography for the Joker. Yeah, I asked Todd, and he said he knows who he is. I don't yeah. know if they know, you know, if they're close or if they've talked or whatever. But yeah, they're, that's kind of a tight knit community. I mean, those guys, they're all, and they're all kind of the same age too. They're in their forties, you know. They're all hanging out and doing their thing. But well, uh, Nico but, is yeah. one of these guys. He's he's extraordinary. And like I said, there's two episodes in the Full Blast podcast where Nico's on. It was called the, Oh, I we, love those episodes. Had a show called yeah. the Downward Spiral. And we just kind of, I I said to him when we did the Downward Spiral like ten or almost fifteen years ago. He had to do everything, and he hated it. And I said to him, like, listen, I got the Full Blast podcast. Anytime you want to cast, you get around. He's busy now. He's all over the place now. Just did what He did West Side Story that's coming out. He's, he would, used to tell me all the things he, that he used to do, and he'd drive me crazy. And I'll just tell you a funny story about the Joker. But um, so, you know, I basically said to him, like, listen, you can come on and cast anytime you want. So he, every so often when he's around, we'll, we'll do the downward spiral, and it'll be completely different than – 
the full blast podcast because it's just like I want I want to bring back what we used to do, which was like bullshit. He would be on Moonrise Kingdom, and he was on Spider Man with Adam Gar with Andrew Garfield, and he was on everything. But when he got the script for Joker. I, I can't remember. I was over at his house or something like that. I, like, I got this movie we're going to do with it. It's called the, it's about the Joker. And then he, I was like, oh, that'll be awesome. He's just like, yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, they don't, they think it's going to be small, but it, you know, you never know. And then all of a sudden he just tells me the, he spoils the whole ending for me. And oh, I'm like, no. dude, dude, I can't watch the movie now. <laughs> so I haven't even watched it yet. And I was just like, I was so mad. I was just like, why did you do that? And he's just like, oh man, sorry. I thought you wanted to, I thought you wanted an inside scoop. And I was just like, but now I, I don't want to know. I mean, I kind of want to enjoy it too, but he used to do that to me. He, he, he tell me the he would tell me all the thing the things would happen. I was just like, man, can I enjoy these movies too? Why have to spoil it for me? So I've I, yeah, I heard about the, jo- the ending of the Joker and stuff. Oh, yeah. dude, it's the worst. There's no there is no more odious person on earth than and not including Nico, but like people who spoil things for other people. I hate that. I used to listen to this yeah. podcast, Fighter and the Kid. With Brendan Schaub and Brian Callen. And it was great. They had great chemistry. They talked about fighting and stuff like that. And I'll never forget, I had to stop listening because, and not that I cared that much, but Brendan Schaub gave the spoilers away for a Star Wars movie. He said, da 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 da, and this guy dies. And oh, it was no. like, you, it just came out a week ago. You <laughs> asshole. And instead of like writing to him, like, you know, unfollowed or, you know, everyone does, they, they write him this coarse message. You, I can't believe, I was like, I can't listen to this because I can't trust that you're going to have my best interest in, in, wow. in your, in, I was like, I can't listen to these podcasts if they're going to be spoiling movies for me. I hate that shit. Interesting. Fucking spoiler, yeah. it was terrible. That one thing just turns you off like that and then you're, and you're not into it anymore. Yeah. I'm I mean, well, what kind of crazy person does, I don't spoil movies that happened years and years and years ago. Like it's, it's true. He should have been like, more self-aware. Yeah. I don't want to ruin somebody's good time. But it, I'm so just true. For, I don't know. We, we, we're, we're kind of rambling, but it's fine. No, no, we're not rambling. I, th- all of this stuff is important to talk about because I feel like when, um, for instance, like you and I, when we talk about things that are relatable to the world or whatever, we're kind of doing the same thing in a lot of ways, but they're all very different. I think it's interesting because when I hear people talk about the films they love and I love film, you know, I just right. I went through film school. I just really love it. I just think it's a fantastic art form. And then I hear how much you love film, television, and also pretty much a lot of different types of art. And, you know, the guys on Knife Talk give you a lot of shit about that. But, you know, when you're when I look back in your catalog, some of the things that I notice about your social media is how much how much uh, you sort of come to life when you start talking about a good piece of art or an arts art installation, or perhaps something you had a part of in um, like the big lure project that you did for all those years and how you start setting up your home workshops so that you could do more artistic endeavors at night instead of um, the work that you do, which by the way is very artistic making knives, but ultimately just like everything it has become work. You know, you're doing this this thing over and over and over. And by watching you over the last couple of years, 
I've noticed that you see the importance of these uh, sculptures and the things that you've been working on for all these years and how much it means to you. I know you've spent a long time, you know, building up fader knives and, you know, creating a business out of thin air, which is insanely difficult to do, by the way. Um, and now I think you're getting to a point where you can go back and revisit, you know, those the, the work that you are doing that brings you a lot of... Uh, good things, good happiness, happiness, you know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. have a love-hate relationship with art and the older I get it always changes but I have more of a love-hate relationship with people who talk about art and it's more along the lines of what my father my father was 50 years older than me and he used to he was a painter and he used to use words that were like at the time when I was younger I was like this sounds familiar but he was said you know that kind of over there when he's talking like he's what we would refer to as a poseur I'm like dad a poser it's like, no, it's a poseur. And I felt like, I feel like that there's, because there's so much um, interpretation and, you know, nebulous, not clear things about what art is and what art isn't, isn't there's a lot of people who kind of float into being an artist without having the vocabulary or the ability to understand where somebody's coming from. And I like to weed those people out because it annoys me because I did study for a long time and I do appreciate art in general, but there's so many bad artists, but they're worse are the people who are, who talk about art in a manner that is incorrect. So I have a very love. I love talking about art. Actually the most, the, my favorite person to talk about art with is my sister. Who's a art curator, a professional art curator. She's got a degree She's an extraordinary uh, curator. I love talking art with her because because we she's my sister and we know each other. I'm able to we're able to kind of like talk not only in the in the in the you know art you know decision making and stuff like that, but because we know each other, we're able to get a little bit get past a lot of you know social norms, and it's just I get very like I enjoy talking about art very much, but at the same time I hate hearing about other the way people talk about art. It's very, I'm a, I'm a snob. I'm honestly, it is to the point where I hate myself, you know, truth. Well, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. I, if you, when you're not on the same level with someone and you don't feel like they can, you almost feel like they're talking about it just for the sake of talking about it or they're trying to be pretentious or something. Uh, yeah. That drives me crazy. I mean, I, I'm with you. I would I, rather have a real conversation about something 
and you know whatever when i go to the art institute in chicago for instance there's so many amazing works in that building i could never pretend to know even one one hundredth of it what's in there i just know what i like i walk up to a piece and i see it and i like it you don't have that's the that's the other thing you don't have to know about it it's like film you watch something because it's good and it you know there's a storyline and you follow it and it's good it doesn't have to have all this like uh sidecar meaning you know i think I, maybe a lot of these artists that you talk to even if we we could bring van gogh back to life or monet or you know any of these you know like salvador dali they might have things to say but they might also pull you aside and go you know this is all bullshit well you know, i just I, painted I, it because i liked it you know i think that it's more along the lines of i love being i love the idea of expressing yourself but I feel like I need complete intention. I think I think everyone yeah. needs to have complete intention. I don't think that there needs to be this like I just I get create the older I get the more the more I'm I'm hoping more for people to be able to express themselves but also express themselves in a way they can use their own words to describe what they're doing. Like I, it's it's I did it because it's cool. It's just not enough for me. And it's just like it, it gets me to the point where I'm just like <sighs> but we're, at the same time the boys don't want to talk about it on a knife talk, and I don't blame them because it ends up making me hate myself even more, and then making me not want to talk about it either. But they're it's protecting just, you from yourself. Anyway. I don't think I what I do is art. I don't think even my sculpture is art. Like I don't even call it art. Like I do call something sculpture or this sculptural, but like as I grow older, I'm much more <laughs> I'm much more hard on myself. So uh, I I hold everybody to a higher uh, degree than myself. So. I have a more respect for others than I do myself. If that makes sense. I'm with you. Who cares? I, what are you I, talking I, about? I don't Brian even House. know. I, 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 I'm I hope you're you feeling right now, better. I am feeling better. Real. I know that we're an hour thirteen, and if you Fine. can believe this, we are an hour thirteen in. And so, but here, here's here's what I did. You know, we reach out to the audience. We always talk about um, connecting with the audience. Uh, on the work for a podcast. And we've been kind of getting, you know, la- we haven't been doing that too, too much. I've been lazy. But uh, recently I did this and I asked, what's your work ethic like? And this is a segue into, um, you know, you and I just 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 briefly touching upon our work ethic because I get this question a lot. You know, how many hours do you work? What do you look? What's your work day look like? What's your routine look like? You know, and every day for me is different. I'm sure every day for you is different. There's not a lot of groundhog day going on, uh, which I like, by the way, that's like the biggest part about being an entrepreneur is being self uh, driven. You can choose which direction you want to go. You can do the things you want to do, but there must, there must, there must be this common theme of moving your business forward. And you know about it, and I know about it. And the only way I know how to do that is by utilizing my work ethic, which is waking up every day and pursuing a goal. Whether or not I achieve that goal is, you know, not really the process. The process is is getting up and doing the same things, repeating, you know, utilizing the same concepts, the perspective. And I'm interested to hear from you being an artist, which artists typically are not always the most organized. You know, there are a lot of free thinkers. There's people that are kind of all over the place. We've got a lot of comments on the Instagram post about ADHD, chaos, you know, all of these things. How do you take your mind and and funnel it into building a business? 
You know, I know this is a loaded question. There's a lot of answers here, but you know what? I guess basically break it down for me. Like when you wake up in the morning, what's your thought process? I think that people have this strange notion that everything has to be fun. And Craig always breaks my balls because I say, I don't like to have fun because I'm here to, this is, I want this to be, I want this to be a job that it's successful and I don't have to have, you know, I say all the time, it's not all uh, high fives and lightning bolts. There's hard work involved. I feel that the more organized I am, and this was back when I graduated college and I had my own my first shop where I actually had to pay rent. It was terrifying. And I had to, I had to line up side jobs and I had to figure out ways in which to pay the rent and make sculpture. And I, I regimented myself as an artist and say, this is what needs to be done in order for me to be successful. I can't take days off and go fishing and fuck around or just get super drunk and hung over the next day and not go into the shop. I had daily and weekly deadlines for myself. And it's, even as an artist, it's like, if you're just too free thinking, it's not going to work. You have to be structured in you. Unfortunately, Americans, I'm going to speak for Americans, don't like discipline. And unfortunately, that's just the way in order to be successful, you got to cut the hope out. Uh, hope is bullshit. Hope is, hope is, hope is the stupidest thing in the world. There's nothing worse than hope because it's, it's nothing to do with you. So if you're hoping that something good happens, you're an idiot. You just have to like do it yourself. So I, I'm, I've, you. I'm very much along the lines of like, I also needed to prove to my wife that I wasn't crazy when I became a knife maker is I had already, I didn't tell her and I made a pile of knives. I sold a pile of knives. I showed her a stack of money and I said, this is what we're doing. And I've already done it. I didn't want her to think I had this pie in the sky, crazy idea. Cause otherwise, you know, it's like, uh, the honeymooners where, you know, Ralph is, I got this great idea for this thing. And his wife's rolling her eyes in the back of her head. And you know, it's this bullshit thing. I feel like it's very important to be disciplined and honest with yourself and be as organized as possible. I have daily, I have, I have the things I need to get done before lunch and the things I have to get done before this podcast, the things I have to get done. And then I, and I, and I just do them and sometimes they suck and that's fine. I'm with you on all of that. I think that what I, what I've discovered too, is that people are shocked by my level of organization and structure if we, if you were to look at my day, a lot of it includes spreadsheets and, you know, looking at analytics and statistics and numbers. And then, and then half of the other, the other half of the day is me prototyping or doing whatever I'm doing, um, creating social media content and talking with customers and doing all those things. When you kind of look at the, what an entrepreneur, the, you know, the, the, the vision of what an entrepreneur has been presented to us as Americans, it's like a lot of glitz and glamour and private jets and making money and doing all this stuff. Well, I got news for everybody is that it, it doesn't add up like that. It doesn't work like that. I'm with you on that, Jeff. I think that too many people rely on hope and every single time. I start to feel unsafe about my situation and, and believe it or not, I, you know, as long as I've been self-employed, there have been scary times, you know, like this pandemic, the numbers haven't been that great. Things are not that great financially uh, in my world. They're, they, they could be worse, but they're not great. And, uh, you know, years and years and years of doing this work, I know that there's slumps, but the slumps usually don't last a year and a half. You know, they last a month, they last two months, they last whatever. 
Um, and in this case, the slump has been a really long one. Um, now I, I've, I take the, the initial, my initial reaction is fear and chaos and feeling scared, you know? Um, and then that turns into anger typically for me. And then I get like fired up and this is my process, right? When I start to feel scared or if I start to feel angry, I realize that something needs to change and I need to do something to change it. And by far, the number one thing that I can do to change anything is action. Always. Not sitting around hoping something will change or hoping someone's going to come along and go, here's a loan or here's a big job or here's this. Action. Action alone has solved all of my problems. And whether that action is responding to an email or a DM or creating a piece of social media or inventing a new product or, you know, talking with someone who I can do a collaboration with, all of those things equate to action. They, they, they were just, they will apply some sort of moving force, some sort of friction against the ground that's going to push you forward. Every day you must take action every day, even Saturday and even Sunday. Those are important days too. And when you're an entrepreneur, action is super important. Hope, throw it in the trash. Optimism, you can have. You can be optimistic. But the rest of it, throw it in the garbage. Start Hope. taking action and you will find success. Hope is just too passive. It's just too passive. But actually, um, in regards to you know the whole idea of painting, I was actually listening to Howard Stern this morning. He's, I, You know what? He's still the best broadcaster there ever, there ever was. 100% and, and agree. There is, no, there is nobody better. Nobody better. Nobody better. Somebody, he's been doing a lot of painting. Actually, he did a drawing that went into uh, this newspaper out in Long Island called Dan's Paper, and he he did the cover. And it's a, I mean, it is an amazing drawing. I mean, he's a really, he's really, really, really talented. And somebody called up today and said to him, "I want to be a painter. I want to learn how to paint, but I mean, how do you do it? And and I'm worried, and I, I'm worried that I'm not going to be good and everything like that." And he said, he said. You're not supposed to have fun when you're painting. He says the first four letters of the word paint are pain. And it's got to be hard and it can't be fun. And you have to be dedicated and you have to, you can't, everyone thinks everything's supposed to be fun all the time. And that's the problem. And, you know, the worst part for makers, I feel sorry for a lot of makers because a lot of makers had these jobs that maybe they just didn't like, but they were good at. And then they found a hobby like knife making or, or making stuff or they had the side hustle. They had the they got the CNC machine and they're doing like what Derek with from Malden's doing. He's making the signs of the epoxy. They look amazing. And some of them are just like, I want to make this thing that I love my job. And then they make this step and they're just like, but it's not fun anymore. It was never supposed to be fun. You were supposed to keep, if you wanted it to be fun, you were supposed to keep your other job and then just fuck around with this hobby on the weekends. That's fun. But if you want to turn it into a job, it's all of a sudden it has to be a job if you want it to be successful or you're playing. And I'm sorry, but this is the yeah, truth. they've been sold a lie. They've been sold a lie by these gurus, these guys. <clears throat> if you've ever uh, been on the Internet, you know that there's always some guy that goes, do you want to live, the be the rich and famous, and do you want to do this? Or there's you can even boil it down to being a, a maker. There's people out there that are selling these like guru programs you know, to try to get you to buy into their book or their series of, you know, entrepreneurship, whatever it is. The first thing I think of is uh, that's a guy who's not actually doing it. He's trying to sell you something right. to do right. it. 
And, you know, it's once you learn that and once you see these guys, you know, washing their million dollar cars and doing all this stuff, you realize why the hell would they want to sell you a program for 1999 when whatever they were doing before bought them that car? That's not their car. They rented that car so that they could sell you some snake oil. And that's exactly what they're doing, which, again, goes back to my entire uh, thesis on, you know, proving to people that, look, this is the reality of entrepreneurism and you can watch my rise. You can watch my fall. Uh, you can do all those things and know that this is the reality behind it. And and uh, that's what I love about doing the work that we do um, and being in that uh, space where we can kind of be honest with each other and talk about the stuff like that, because I don't think there's a whole lot of that going on. I think people just are painting this picture. They're showing you the best stuff. They're putting it all out there and they're not showing the hardships. Um, they're not seeing the uh, the 500 pieces that I cut out to try to obtain the correct uh, settings on my plasma cutter. They don't see me wasting, you know, like all that time, like trying to figure this out and, you know, all that. None of that looks fun because it's not fun. It's not. It's but, actually but, hard work. But that's okay, and, though. That's uh, okay. Isn't it okay I'm to like not it. have fun? I mean, Craig makes me, Craig makes so many jokes. He's like, you don't like to have fun. I'm like, yeah, because I the fun is going to be the satisfaction that I have control over the decisions that I make in my life and that I execute them and I manifest and think I'm supposed to be thinking about. Back to when you were talking about gurus, I have a funny Tony Robbins story. I didn't meet him, thank God. A friend of mine was selling his books or something or involved in the Tony Robbins business. And this person was telling me about the things that they had to sell and then the people they had to recruit to help sell and I was just like looking and thinking about this. It's fucking Tony Robbins. I have no interest in this Tony Robbins. You know, all these guys, Gary Vee, all these guys, if you like them, God bless you. I, I just don't, I don't need, I'm not interested in, in, in this, some of this canned stuff. I, it doesn't interest me. But I said to her, I'm like, isn't this a pyramid scheme? And she looked at me, it's like, that's what people tell. That's what we're told. The Tony Robbins people say people are going to think this is a pyramid scheme. And this is what we're supposed to say. And I'm just like, yeah, that's what they do with pyramid schemes. They know that you're a pyramid scheme. And they're going to tell you that people are going to say you're in a pyramid scheme. And here's what you say to prevent them from thinking you're in a pyramid scheme. Here's the pyramid scheme. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's like we're going to show you how to unscamify the scam, you know, basically. Reverse engineer it so people will believe that you're actually selling something of value. I mean, I, I've watched Tony Robbins stuff. He's very inspirational. I, I enjoy listening to his stories. He's a very moving human being. Um, but I, I don't know if you've ever looked at what it costs to go sit in the same room with the guy. Oh, um, it's like five it's, grand or seven grand or something the, like that. But to the go books to one of the and seminars. the nonsense and the bullshit you have to sell. These pyramid schemes are taking these people. I had a friend of mine and I'm going off the, the rails a little bit, but I had a friend of mine who was a teacher and this person was a teacher and her husband was a teacher. They were teachers, hardworking family. They had young kids. And they were hardworking teachers, and the, the 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 wife got involved with this skincare product, and she was she was selling the skincare product. And I was like, this is so weird. And I was just, everything is so weird about the Facebook postings. She did these before pictures and after pictures, but the before pictures were like like they turned the saturation up. When they turned the like the you know the structure up, so it was like they weren't in the same lighting, and they were so fucked up. And sure. then and then her and then the commenters were like, "I love this stuff. This stuff's the best. I'm so glad I have it." And every time she posted, it would be like these before and after pictures. I'm like, 
I said, and I've realized cause my dad had these uh, these employees who used to get. My dad didn't pay his employees very well, so they were all involved in pyramid schemes because they, my dad wouldn't pay them <laughs> enough. So I always knew about all these, you know, the Russian vitamins and the, the bullshit and the Beanie Babies, and all. I had, I knew all about these pyramid schemes. So I said to this, I sent a message like a to this Beanie woman. Baby. I said this message to this woman. I, we know her, but I felt like I'm going to tell her I think she's involved in a pyramid scheme. And if she doesn't want to be my friend anymore, I'll be fine. I don't see her often anyway, but I, but she's a hardworking person. She, she's got her kit. You know, she's selling this skincare product and, and telling people you can be an affiliate too. It was a pyramid scheme and it was a bullshit. The pictures were all fucked up. So I decided it was late night. I, you got to keep me away from writing anybody late at night because it's like, I always regret it in the morning, but I thought, <laughs> what's the bet? What's the worst that could happen? I never talked to her again. Not it's fine. So I wrote her this message. I saying, you know, I'm only saying this because I'm your friend. I feel like when you're, you're someone's friend, you do owe it to them to like, if they're going towards a cliff, you might want to let them know if, even if they're mad that there's a cliff in front of you. I'm just, I, I would be a really bad person if I didn't say something. So I said to him, I just want you to know, I feel like you're involved in something that's like a pyramid scheme. And then I explain why, you know, like I know you're selling this and you're for all the other people, your affiliates are all responding on Facebook. And it just feels like you're involved with something that might not be beneficial to your family. And I said, and I know this because my dad was a <laughs> cheap and all of his employees are involved in these pyramid schemes all the time. And she wrote back saying, we, the people we work with know, and I also Googled the name of this company. And the first thing, the second Google search result was, is this product a scam or is this a pyramid scheme? And it was like, okay, if it's the second one down, if is if the, the name of the company and is a pyramid yeah. scheme comes down, I think that you got to, I think you have some issues. Sure. So she responded back and basically said, the people at this company, they all know that we get this a lot. And she gave me this whole thing and I love this product and blah, 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 blah. and you got to go, let her go on her way. You got to let her go on her way. I, but I did the, I did my job. She gave me the, the stuff that her, you know, her, 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 uh, the puppeteers have told her to say. And then that was the end of it. We never saw her again. You never saw her again, but it was very clear. It was like, some people love a pyramid scheme. And I don't know why I brought this up. It was because it's Tony Robbins and I apologize. No, no, of course. I, I have uh, gone to a couple of things when I was younger and I got sucked into a couple of things like this. I never signed up, by the way. I just always like went and then realized about halfway through that I was getting sucked into something like that. And, uh, you know, they don't want you to leave the room. It's like a cult, you know, like yeah. you walk in and you're just like, oh, hey, I'm here to sell like whatever dehumidifiers or something. And like then you realize that they, if 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 you're ever involved in something where you have to purchase the product and then resell it, it's definitely an MLM. I mean, there's just there just it really is. And you should never do that. Because uh, you're going to get stuck with a bunch of shit that nobody wants. But, all right, so hold on. All right, so Jeff, we're coming to the close of the show. We're an hour 30 now, and I really want to um, uh, just really quickly express how much I care about you as a podcaster, as a person, and also how much I really enjoyed having you on the show. And then, I know it's going to sound so cheesy, man, but like you reaching out to me after hearing the podcast and and saying like, hey, is everything all right? I, um, it, it means a lot and it made my day. It actually changed the course of the energy of that entire day for me because I was at work 
I wasn't really feeling all that well. I was, you know, kind of here and just piddling around trying to do something, you know, just trying to figure stuff out. And I get this message from you and it says like, hey, man, are you all right? And, you know, we kind of went back and forth. And, you know, to take the time to do that, uh, not a lot of people do, you know, and it really changed the course of that day and the week for me because I was looking forward to this recording all week. And um, I just I hope you know the impact that you have on people and I hope you recognize it and I hope that it brings you a little bit of light in return. You're very kind. And I was going to say, if you start to cry, I will never come on this podcast again and lose my phone number. I was literally about to press the block button. You can't see me. Button. I might be crying. Man. I was I pre- about to press and... the block button on your number. I was like, I can't be involved <laughs> with this anymore because that's not what I'm looking for in my life. Listen, what are you going to do? I, I, in regards to how I feel about the, how what I do, I just need to keep going forward. I don't really think about these things because all of a sudden it's Good. like I don't need to pat myself in the back. I'm not interested. I have no interest Good. in that. No, I appreciate I, and I'll, you. I'll pat you. I will pat your fine. back for you. Fine. That's, you don't that's have, you're the too job kind. I have. You're too kind. You, you right. don't have to Very do that. Good. It's fine. I I enjoy this. I enjoy podcasting. I enjoy what you're doing with, with Ben. Um, and I'm glad that you're my friend, and I enjoy talking to you off the phone and, and, and on in this situation, and I'm glad people like to listen to your podcast. I listen to your podcast, and I enjoy it. You sounded pretty down the dumps last week, and I wanted to make sure you weren't on a, a ledge. I was That's shitting all. my pants, Jeff. What do you, I mean, I was literally shitting my pants as I, I mean, was doing that. I had to wear like, a diaper. I mean, yeah. you were sounded like you – I mean, it didn't sound – you were, it sounded like you were in – Taking bats up with a toaster oven next to you. It didn't sound good at all. <laughs> I felt like shit. I, mean, I felt you terrible. Sounded like, my you whole sounded body. sad. It sounded, I was just I like, was. you got to see if Brian's all right. I, I, I would was. hate I it if sad. he just... Because here's the thing with these podcasts. These, some of these goddamn... I call them fleabag podcasts. They have this idea that they're going to be podcasters. And then all of a sudden, after, after a few months, they decide, I don't have anything to talk about anymore. Let's not do it. Or let's wait a month or let's wait two months. Or, and I can't have you do it. I need to make sure that you're back up oh, and yeah. you don't have a, you don't, you, you just don't decide to like let loose because people dropping like flies. Now, you know, the, th- the thing about this uh, medium, and I think you've, you've figured it out too, is consistency is important. So like, even if you miss one show, like you fall off the charts, you know, people just don't tune back in and it's hard to win those, that audience back. I, uh, I don't just do it for that reason, by the way, but the, what I, what I really feel about the podcast is how cathar- there's a ton of catharsis in this for me. Anyway, um, I don't talk to a lot of people. I try to stay as clear of most human beings as much as possible, other than my family and my staff and everything. And when I come on these, the show and I chat with Ben or I chat with whoever, I always walk away feeling like a completely different person. I feel like I've learned something. I had a great conversation. It's just the right amount of socializing for me. And um, and then I, the show airs. Everybody downloads it and listens to it. And then I get this feedback. You know, I get people messaging me, whether it's good or bad or whatever. Uh, and I find so much. I just, I find, I get so much um I get, I just, I get, I get filled up by it, if that makes sense. It, it makes it sense. really enhances my life so to stop doing it doesn't make a lot of like for me doesn't make a ton of sense if you can believe this this is work for it episode 49 so we're only three away from the entire year how's that possible i don't know feels like yesterday how'd you get more how'd you because i started in before you did i don't understand how you got more in than me i don't know um 
Well, we were doing two a week for a oh, while. Oh, that's so that right. maybe that's, that's yeah. That's we were doing it. two. For, yeah, and then that's we, a, that's we, a tough. That's a tough pull. That was tough. Yeah, we tough did two pull. a week. That's a tough pull. We tried that yep. with knife talk, and I was just like, "Yo, this ain't, ain't going to be any." No one wants to hear plunge lines twice a week. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Well, I, I I will tell you this is that I would like to incorporate some of the same stuff you guys are doing um, with uh knife talk on our show and i'm and we're gonna definitely try we've been hinting at it for a while but then what really sold me was when i heard you guys doing it and i i realized like god that's that's just it's so good to have these people like like for instance when you have somebody on your show on full blast you're you're on there for an hour an hour and a half and you're talking to the same person not saying that it's boring because it's not but when you've got this rotating door of people kind of coming and going and 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 putting in their two cents, it really mixes it up. It's really a nice feel. It's great energy. So uh, we're going to try to do something similar on Work For It, I think, uh, in the coming months. I don't know how soon, but it's, it takes a lot of coordination to make it happen. It's but, a uh, lot of work. It's a lot yeah, of work. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not, I mean, you know, you've already taken, you've already taken I'm with you. So it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I, you, you know what? Some... I, I can't believe I, I did. I, <laughs> I always thought it was something that you took from me. You're kidding me. No. You're kidding me. I'm I've been not saying that you. for a long time. I've been saying that for years. I'm with you. I'm with you started from, you. I'm with you started from, I was like trying to prevent people from talking. And I'm with you was like, leave me alone. But in a nice yeah, way. That's how I use it. That's how I use this it. This is outrageous. This is we're gonna have to have it. We're gonna have to have it, some time stamps in regards to who said I'm with you first. That's an outrage. No. Bingo, bango, bongo. That's I mean, I another one. That what else? Are you what are you talking about? I don't Come even on, know man. What you're talking about that? I brought that. I totally brought that to podcasting. God. Who says that? God damn it! God damn it! This is how it ends. <laughs> this is how it ends. <laughs> Because everybody right, knows, Jeff. motherfuckers, you got to work for it. Is that how That's you end it. Show? You got to work for it, baby. That's right. Anyways, all right. Listen, Jeff, I love you. I appreciate you, and I am with you, my friend. Dude, as always, you do a good job. You do a great job. I listen every week, and I want you to be cheerful. And now that Ben Jam and Butler is whatever the hell he's doing, he he's hanging He'll from a, a string or something. Who knows what he's doing? Jumping out of airplanes? Who knows? You always, if you always need a fill in, you can give me a call. I'm happy to do it because I obviously it. I don't do enough podcasts. <laughs> I had this theory. I was like, you know what? I think Jeff is addicted to podcasting. I've, and I'm like, he's just asking to myself. be on the show to I've, fulfill some weird kink. I have overcommitted myself. Actually, I'm going to be on two other podcasts. I'm going to be on Shop <laughs> Sounds next week. And then All I'm right. Gonna, Ooh, I got, Shop I, Sounds is good. Yeah, that's yeah. A good Keith Johnson's a good dude, so he asked me to be. So we're gonna do that. I, I, I've overcommitted myself, but I'm gonna rectify that. But for you, I thought you were in the. I thought you were in like toaster in the jacuzzi situation. So I wanted to make sure yeah. you weren't. It's so. the way to go, you know. I, I thought I. You know what? I never think about suicide because I'm always interested in what's gonna happen next. But you when you get been. like sick, right? You're like you're you're just like so ill that like the world looks like a very dark place. It's hard for me to cover it up. I'm not like one of those people that can just like paint a smile on my face. I've never been that person. So when I go on the podcast and I'm feeling like shit, that's what you're going to hear, you know. So that's, you know, that's who I am. And, I realized I should have let you cancel. The, I feel I realized you should I should let you 
stopped the show about <laughs> two minutes ago. And with no. that said, I want to immediately apologize. I'm not. We're not making fun of. We're not. I love an apology at the end of a podcast. We're not making fun of suicide. So please oh, don't no. send me any messages. I'm not interested. I apologize. <laughs> That's all I'm asking. You can Leave hit up alone. Jeff Fader at Fader Nine. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm not making full jokes blast about. Podcast. I am not making suicide jokes. So please leave me alone. No, no, we would never take a subject like that uh, and bring <laughs> well, light to it. Uh, that's how you in a, in a podcast, ladies and germs. There you go. All right. All right, amigo. I, I love you and appreciate you, Jeff. All right. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, everybody out there listening, thank you so much for hearing us on the Work For It podcast. You could support our show for as little as $1 a month on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash work for it. Also, if uh, Jeff, what is the uh, Axe Wax uh, uh, thing that you use? There's a promo code. If you go to axewax.us and put in a promo code, they can get some money off. Full Blast 10 at axwax.us. And I've never, I never thanked you for doing the live reads for, for Knife Talk. I, do, I love them very much and I appreciate it. Well, I love hearing my own voice, so it works out. I'm with you. Yeah, I like, <laughs> you know, can you bingo, bango, bongo? That's it. Done. <laughs> All right, amigo. Catch up with you. See you later. Thank you. Yep. Bye bye. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.